Hello and welcome to another episode of the Horseman's University podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Reaching Strides Equine Rehabilitation, Rose Horsemanship Center, Pear Tree Ranch, and Copperline Farm. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, you can go to thehorsemansuniversity.com, scroll to the bottom, and click Sponsorship. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about physical therapy, equine rehabilitation with Emily Rose from Reaching Strides Equine Rehabilitation. And without further ado, we'll jump right in. So I guess first of all, like what is... There's nothing on there. (laughs) (laughs) Just put it like a... Put a little screen of a podcast thing on there. Um, I guess one of the questions that, that I would have if I didn't know about the SERP program is what is, what is a SERP? Like, what do you do? And how long has it been around? I mean, it's like a relatively new thing, right? Yeah. Like, so, like doing PT um, for horses yeah, is, it's yeah. not like, cause you're a, you got your doctorate in physical therapy for people, but for yeah. horses it's relatively new. Yeah. So SERP stands for Certified Equine Rehab Practitioner. And there are two programs in the United States that have like that program where you can come out with that certification. And basically what I kind of call myself is a physical therapist for horses. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what the program teaches you, kind of all of the rehabilitative principles, but we apply them to horses. Off the top of my head, I don't know how long the programs have actually been around, um, but I do know there aren't very many of us that are certified. Uh, the certification is for veterinarians, licensed vet techs, physical therapists, or physical therapist assistants. So mm-hmm. it's all licensed professionals, like people who have had to take licensure exams to do yeah. what they do. Um, so we know that the program has, you know, standards for the the people that can graduate from it, and you kind of have a better idea of who you're working with then when when you do find a certified equine rehab practitioner to work with. But basically the best way I can describe it is a physical therapist for horses. And I think that um, when we think about PT, a lot of times we think about like sports medicine, which is a large part of what we do with humans and with horses. Um, But physical therapists also work with patients all across the age range, you know, from Mm -hmm. infants or foals all the way to geriatrics or older, more senior horses. Um, It doesn't always have to be after an injury it could be for performance improvement or it could be for just general well-being like helping the aging horse keep muscle tone Mm -hmm. you know as they as they get older Um, could be like angular limb deformities in foals Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be like an injury that they sustain and then we're treating that injury right Um, so is that process pretty similar between humans and horses like are you are you going out and doing a diagnosis on horses or are you kind of following like a physical therapy order from a vet or how does that process look well it, you know it kind of depends um like as a physical therapist and a SERP um I work kind of under my physical therapist practice laws I guess mm-hmm. you could say um where I work under a veterinarian's referral But in the state of Wisconsin, where I practice, we also have direct access rights, which means, um, for example, in human physical therapy, a human can come and see me without a doctor's referral for physical therapy Mm -hmm. because of the 
educational background that I have, you know, I'm trained to recognize those red flags of when a patient's not appropriate for physical therapy and when they need to be referred back to their provider. So I also take direct access patients, horses, I guess you could say, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm careful about what direct access ones I take and really make sure I get a good background um, before agreeing to that. Otherwise, I'll just ask the owner, like, hey, can I reach out to your veterinarian? Do you mind if we talk about about this? Mm-hmm. Um, because I do follow, like, what I do in human physical therapy with the horses. I don't make a, a medical diagnosis. Hopefully, the animal comes to me with a medical diagnosis if they're coming from a veterinarian. That's out of my scope of practice to do. But I make a therapy diagnosis. And a therapy diagnosis is different from a medical diagnosis because... I'm looking at impairments and functional activity impairments. Like that's what my eye is trained to see. And like an impairment might be decreased strength or decreased range of motion or um, improper use of the right hind during gait. Whereas like a medical diagnosis is like um, a hamstring tear Mm -hmm. or a sprained ankle in a human. Like I'm not making those diagnoses. I'm looking for impairments or functional activity impairments. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I follow like the same course of where, you know, I kind of do my evaluation, looking for those impairments, functional impairments. We come up with a plan, a treatment plan, frequency, intensity, home exercise program. Um, Very similar (laughs) mirrored to human physical therapy yeah we've got the dogs playing underneath the table here they're all jingling away i don't know if everybody can hear that we're at rose horsemanship center sitting and got uh, Paige and gus here jingling around (laughs) Um, but i suppose you'd probably want to work with a vet with a farrier you know just to kind of have that whole team perspective absolutely i think that you know all of the healthcare professionals for the horse coming together is like the best case scenario mm-hmm. i love working with the veterinarians because they have different background than i do and different experiences and we can put those together and then if i'm able to tie in like the farrier um, massage any other sort of allied healthcare professional they might be working with um, it just makes the treatment plan for the horse just that much better mm-hmm. do you have a favorite kind of case that you see like working with PT like working with you know infants or with adults or does that kind of translate at all to working with horses like kind of like an age demographic that I like working with just kind of a case that like do you would you rather do sports like improving sure you know I like I like it all honestly um I like the challenge of kind of being a really broad general practitioner of like not specializing in like one sport like Mm -hmm. not specializing just in cutting or just in dressage horses like really being able to see the whole gamut as well as like every age demographic that's out there you know Mm -hmm. I like working with the geriatric horses because a lot of times you know those owners are like wow you know this really made a difference for my horses you know I continue to ride them and want them to age well but I also like working with athletes you know who are showing at really high levels and making a difference there so it's all fun for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll just take the collars out there we go (laughs) they're they're in play mode right now (laughs) um so with 
with this, is there like a common issue that you see that can be, you know, that people can improve on with their horses? You know, is there like, a, well, I guess like top line issues or abdominal strengthening or stuff like that? Yeah, I think one area um, that a lot of horses could improve on is their core strength. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I'm speaking from a perspective of like, I've checked with my veterinarian to make sure it's okay for my horses to work on strengthening their abdominals and their top line. What's the, what's an example of how, when it wouldn't be okay? Like, is it? If the horse has maybe some sort of neurological condition. Okay. Or significant kissing spines or something. I see. You know, they might okay. want you to avoid that. Or if they're post-colic surgery. Yeah you know, depending on the time frame. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I've, once I've checked with that veterinarian, like typically most horses actually are um, really weak in their core. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same in humans. A lot of humans have a lot of uh, strength deficits in their core. So it really translates mm -hmm. across both. Yeah. When we were, so we made a short collection of videos, mm -hmm. made four videos, with a couple of different exercises. And in some of them, I remember that, that you're definitely strengthening the abdominals as we think of them, like your ab muscles, like underneath. But there mm -hmm. was also, you pointed out some strengthening on their back. Yeah. So when I talk about core, um, I'm talking about like abdominals, the top line muscles that kind of run right along the spine. Mm -hmm. You know, when everybody refers to the top line, it's those muscles. I'm talking about like the pelvic floor muscles and like the gluteals. That in my book is the core. Like the core isn't just the abdominal muscles. So yes, one particular exercise, if you do watch some of the ones that um, we made, might target the abdominals more, but secondarily, you're also working on the other muscle groups that make up the core. And whether it's a lengthening contraction or a shortening contraction or lateral bend and stretching one side and, and compressing the other, I mean, it's it's just... Super interesting to me that how many different muscle groups we can target on one exercise. Yeah. What are the benefits of strengthening those muscles? So having a strong core is just the basis for self-carriage or good posture. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about <laughs> the dogs are <laughs> just pushing on me. Sorry. Um, when we think about self-carriage, um, it really is, you know, having ultimate sort of shock absorption and energy travel through the body. Mm -hmm. And when we think about horses in motion and especially with the weight of a rider on their back, how important would that core strength be for them? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just extremely important to have a strong core for a lot of different reasons. Do, do a lot of the injuries that you see relate to that? Yes and no. Yeah. Like, a lot of back injury horses or kissing spine horses that I see, yeah, like that's the first area we zone in on is the core. But like a lot of times, even in, for example, like a navicular horse, I might see like along the chain, you eventually reach the core. Mm -hmm. And if the core can absorb some of the shock that, for example, maybe the navicular doesn't have to absorb as much, like if we strengthen the muscles around the area of arthritis or something like that, you see really nice changes. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's the same in humans, like, um, who have, for example, like really flat feet. Yeah. A lot of times they actually have core deficits. 
So when you strengthen the core, all of a sudden their hips are in better alignment, which travels down to the knees, which travels down to the ankles and the feet. So mm. it's all connected. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, with these videos, I chose first to highlight core exercises. Yeah, that's, that's some good information. And I feel like it kind of straightened things out because I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about core strength, top line strengthening, carriage and stuff like that. Do you see that frequently? Like, and, and not just with PT, but also like seeing a horse that's quote collected. You know, is that, is that something that you see frequently that people are misusing that word or any other misconceptions that you notice? Yeah, it can definitely be an area of misconception that uh, we run across. There are some people out there who really understand it and sometimes like just helping other people with a simple explanation of like the biomechanics that we're looking for and the appropriate muscle engagement that we're looking for in collection or self-carriage or um, contact can really just help people progress their riding that much further. Mm-hmm. So let's go through a couple of those videos. Well, my next question was going to be, where can people learn this? <laughs> <laughs> the Horseman's University. Yeah. So for members, allied professionals page. Yep. So for members, you can look at this, the allied, allied uh, professionals page. There's also Richard Scouting on there. Sorry, dog stampede. <laughs> We're going to put them outside. Okay, there they're out. <laughs> Sorry about that. So Richard Scouten is also on the Remount Horsemanship. He did a, a um, short mini-series on roping, intro to roping, everything. But Emily's videos are also on there. And uh, two of them are available now. <clears throat> and the other two will be dropped next week. Um, and the first two are belly lifts. Well, one of them is belly lifts and the other one is vertical, uh, carrot stretches. So can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, well, we'll start with belly lifts and how, how that affects the horse and what things to look for. Yeah. So belly lifts primarily target the abdominal muscles or all the ones that are kind of like on the underside abdomen and along the flank of the horse. Mm -hmm. Um, but secondarily, uh, what belly lifts do is they raise the back. And so naturally it's not just the abdominals that are helping raise the back. It's also the top line musculature. Um, a lot of times you'll hear like in veterinary medicine, we'll talk about top line musculature as like apaxial muscles. So we're engaging all of those apaxial muscles that also help to flex the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a group called hypaxial. It, it's the same with the top line, but we're, we're engaging those muscles with the belly lifts as well. So you're getting lift of the back, engagement of the abdominals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so one of the things when, I, when we were filming this that I was thinking about was that it's not just, I mean, when you think of engaging a muscle, you think of it contracting. But also with the lifting, I mean, there's a lot of muscles in there that you don't think of that are contracting and strengthening because you think of it as like, well, they're, round, or they're you know, rounding their back out vertically, and so you would think that it's stretching, but actually it's engaging some muscles that are in there. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And that's one that I point out to owners a lot because a lot of times we think of like muscle contractions as the muscle only shortening. Mm-hmm. But exactly. there's a whole equal and opposite contraction of the muscle controlling the lengthening aspect mm-hmm. of it. And that is frequently the forgotten uh 
type of contraction to train. Mm -hmm. It's the same as like training downward transitions. It's the lengthening component of a lot of those muscles. Mm -hmm. It's the same in human medicine too. A lot of people are weaker in the lengthening component of the contraction. Mm -hmm. And okay, so the second video that's available now is the vertical carrot stretches. Mm -hmm. Is that targeting similar muscles, yeah. different muscles? I mean, because the neck is involved in there yeah. too with them reaching down. Yep. It's targeting a lot of the same muscles, the abdominals, the top line muscles. But the other thing that uh, vertical carrot stretches do is as the horse reaches its chin between its knees or between its fetlocks, it has to shift its weight backwards onto the hind end mm. in order to do that. So you're getting actually contraction of the pelvic stabilizers, the hip stabilizers, the gluteals, the okay. pelvic floor. There's a lot more going on there. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Um, you're adding in more muscle contraction. And depending on the quality of the carrot stretch, there can definitely be a lot more going on. Mm -hmm. And then the other two that will be released next week, there was the lateral carrot stretch. Yep. And then also the, the butt, butt tucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... How are those similar, different? Is there advantages to one or the other? Are they all good? Oh, they're all good as long as your veterinarian gives you the A-OK -okay to do them all. Um, they just target different fiber orientations, some different muscles, as well as um, different planes of motion of the spine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there, are there better times to do this? Like, should you do this? In the middle of a workout, before a workout, after the workout? I actually like to kind of do them, you know, depending on the horse. It really depends on the horse. But in general, I like the horse to have maybe like a good 5-10 minute warm-up mm -hmm. and then go into the exercises. Mm -hmm. Just kind of get the muscles moving, get blood flow going, mm -hmm. you know, limber them up a little bit and then go into the exercises. And it can just be like a good 5-minute walk, yeah. like, you know, on on the lunch line or whatnot. Is this something that you do every day or no, like every time you typically, or... you know, again, I hate to repeat myself, like as far as saying, depends on the horse, but in general, it's like a three days a week sort of thing. Which is probably more frequently than a lot of us get out to ride anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. So yeah, typically yeah, about case for me. <laughs> three days a week and like five to 10 repetitions of each exercise. Mm -hmm. So Probably. not a lot, yeah. but enough. S starting off slowly. Yeah, and building up repetitions and tolerance. Mm -hmm. So Gotcha. All right. Well, I think that's about it for today. Thank you for right. doing this podcast and making the videos. And Absolutely. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about Emily and what she does, you can go to reachingstridesrehab.com. Yep. And uh, schedule appointments there, email her, ask questions and everything like that. Absolutely. Maybe in the future we'll be lucky enough to do a live Q&A or something like that Ooh, for everybody. That'd be cool. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Emily. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, check out the Horseman's University at thehorsemansuniversity.com.